Hello, Surgery Center listeners, and welcome to the Excellentia podcast, Surgery Center Chat. Hi, I'm Roger Manning. And I'm Kathy Montgomery. I want to thank you all for coming to our third episode. We promise to keep going as long as you keep listening. Kathy, I understand that you want to speak to the folks about an incident that occurred in a New Jersey surgery center toward the end of 2018. Yes, that's correct. Anytime ASCs make it into the national news, whether it's good or bad, we all should take note. This situation was not a shining moment for the ASC industry, as you're going to learn today. Kathy, for those listeners that are not working or living in New Jersey, will they even want to stay on and listen to this episode? Oh, absolutely. We all need to understand the issues because your patients, they're going to be hearing and listening to the news. I took my dad to for oral surgery yesterday, and you can bet I paid extra attention to the packaging of the sterile instruments that they were laying out. And as well, all surveyors from all of the accrediting organizations are studying the cited issues especially AAAHC. And I know many of you use them for your surveys at your facilities, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, then. Well, that sounds great. Kathy, you can start the presentation in just a minute, but first I'd like to tell our listeners about our new conferences that uh, we're hosting later in the spring. Excellentia Advisory Group through our DBA, Excellentia University, is hosting two new conferences. The first one is ASC Administrator Training Course, And it's coming up on April 2nd through April 4th, and then immediately after, a second one-day conference for infection prevention training will be on April 5th at the same hotel in St. Charles, Missouri. Our main conference is for anyone that is wanting a more intensive or comprehensive training on the job of being a surgery center administrator. These three days will be taught by several CAS-certified surgery center managers, and if you're interested or have an employee that is, let's say, a clinical director wanting a career path as an administrator but doesn't have uh, a business or HR background or any of that kind of training to be administrator, then you'll uh, want them to come to this conference, or you should come to this conference. Please go to our website for further details. And uh, now, at this time, Kathy, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Welcome to our third edition of the Excellentia Surgery Center Chat. Glad you're able to join us today. I think we've got some great information that can really benefit your facility. If you follow the industry news, you probably have noted the activity in the ASC environment is definitely on the rise. It's estimated that ambulatory surgery is now about 80% of the surgical market. We are definitely a force to be reckoned with for sure. But with that success and notoriety obviously comes obligation and accountability, which equates to compliance, strategic planning, and things like self-reflection. Excellentia has an e-membership program that includes group conversations. Upcoming, we're going to be having a lengthy conversation about mock surveys. I think after today's podcast, you might consider one for your facility. Whether you outsource this activity or plan an internal event, which is perfectly fine, a great way to make sure that you're on track. So today, I think it's a great time to reflect back on what we've learned about our environment, our ASCs in 2018. Obviously, the plan is to look for guidance for 2019. Even if this is not a potential survey year for you, you still need to always be ready. 
I've gathered information from many sources, but today let's focus on the New Jersey situation, as I promised to do on our earlier podcast. As I alluded to then, we should look at these situations as teaching moments. This is a bit of a unique situation as New Jersey is one of those states that posts on the Department of Health's website the results of surveys. And not just a summary, the actual survey, a full statement of deficiencies, as well as the submitted plan of correction. These are efforts to be transparent. I don't know. um, There are several states that do this. Several come to mind. Your state might be considering this as we speak. Also, just know, in case you're unaware, CMS does the same thing. Theirs isn't exactly the plan of correction or the actual citations, and it's an Excel spreadsheet that, frankly, is very difficult to read, but they post federal surveys. Now, they don't post the ones that are done by the accrediting organizations, the deemed status, and they also do not post the state surveys, but at any rate, it's out there. But let's get back to what we know about New Jersey survey. First of all, this was a complaint survey. The nature of the complaint, that's not published, and it's allowed to remain anonymous. I get that. Seems fair. There needs to be a system in place to protect individuals, whether it's a patient or an employee, who submits a complaint. Otherwise, there would likely be a breakdown in the protection of confidentiality, if you know what I'm saying. I like to compare this idea as well to patient satisfaction surveys. If you combine the post-op phone call with an interview of how things went, so maybe what I would refer to as a verbal patient satisfaction survey, there's little chance you're going to be able to peel that onion all the way back. Patients might not feel comfortable sharing their concerns with you, especially if their concern had something to do with you, the caller. Awkward. They you know, end up losing their um, confidentiality. I have to admit, when I heard about the New Jersey facility, that it was a complaint to the state, and knowing that they were a AAA facility, my first worry was, is this, is this simply a surveyor going rogue on us? We've all been there. I have as an ASC administrator, and as a management firm overseeing ASCs, And frankly, also as a surveyor, you might find that interesting. You know, we show up in teams, and sometimes one on the team is just a little bit out there, so to speak. My point is, I'm the first to admit that sometimes surveyors can easily go off the grid. But with all that said, I think we need to consider their statement of deficiencies. As I read through it, my opinion somewhat changed. It was comprised of 17 tags, which accounted for about 40 specific issues. The end result was an aggressive plan of correction. I feel it was well-constructed, thought out, and obviously it was executed well because, in fact, the state showed up and reopened them in about three weeks based on their recognized improvement. Good for them. Obviously, the devil will be in the details and how well they follow through. The New Jersey Health Department, what they did is they recommended about 3,700 past patients get tested for HIV, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C. Now, this included patients who had surgery at the facility between January 1st of 2018 and September 7th, the actual day of the survey. The surgery center will have to pay all of the costs for those testings. Wow, right? 
My purpose today is not to throw them under the bus. I personally hope they pull it out, but we all need to take note of the citations and learn, prepare, and reflect. I know for a fact that there are facilities performing some of the exact same infractions. Maybe not to the sum total, but I can tell you I see at least one or two of these on every survey that I do. But we fix them and move on. Now, my clients that enter into management agreements with us, they're fairly safe because we keep pretty close tabs just to make sure that everybody stays in check. You might think that you've got this, you get a resignation in your central processing department, you find yourself starting all over with a new hire. Things can go south pretty quick. The facilities that scare me are the ones that pass a survey and then they think they can coast until the next three-year mark. So with that said, what I'm going to do is prioritize the issues. Now, this list that I'm compiling here is based on my thoughts as a surveyor, issues that are grave, that uh, with a goal that this is a common practice in many facilities. So listen up, because again, this is all public record and clearly is going to be a case study for many surveyors. My first concern, the use of single dose IV bags for multiple patients. Yes, I've, trust me, I've heard all the reasons why you need to do this. Shortage of the product, cost savings, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that doesn't make it right. This is listed as a measure on the Surveyor Exhibit 351. And you might remember it was an element of concern during the Nevada debacle back in 2008, that infection control breach. I know you remember that one. Patients died as a result of contracted infections, Providers ended up in jail, employees were fired, some facilities even closed. Let's hope we don't go back to those days. You may not know this, but back in the day, 100% of the surgery centers in Nevada had an immediate survey because of this. Even today, they're all scheduled annually. Again, I'm hoping that the outcome of this current situation is not going to cause our industry to take a step backward. I myself was recently on site at a facility that was actually using a single dose bag of saline for roughly three patients, three to four patients. This just can't be done. A few additional infection control citations to watch out for that showed up on their list. Hand hygiene, specifically after removing gloves. I don't know why this continues to be an issue. Surgical attire, not covering facial hair in the semi or restricted areas. It appeared that the infection preventionist had no specific training. When the surveyor was doing their tracer patient, it was noted that no one cleaned the anesthesia card in between cases. I admit, I see this frequently. My hunch is it's not defined whose job this is, whose responsibility it is to do the cleaning. Is it the ASC staff or the anesthesia provider? I can understand why folks get confused. That in my mind would be the first issue that needs to be resolved. Whose job is it? And then put it in a policy. Their infection control policies, by the way, had not been reviewed in eight years, according to the documented evidence, well past the annual requirement if this is actually true. Additionally, their policies, ugh, they were in the name of another facility, the previous owner. So unfortunately, it was pretty glaring that this was truly a case of unattended policies. Let's move on to some pharmacy issues that I think you'll find interesting. They did not have control of their narcotics. To start with, when they were delivered, the third copy of the 222 form 
it wasn't signed and dated to affirm the delivery counts, nor did they attach a copy of the original invoice to that third page of the 222 and keep it in a separate file as was required. So when they were asked for it, they couldn't deliver. To make matters worse, when they traced utilization between the narcotic log and the medical record, entries didn't match up. Some were over, some were under. So it was really hard to tell what was going on there. When narcotics were wasted, often there was not a co-signer. But sadly, on the flip side, there was often a co-signer when there was no waste. So it was apparent that there was a great deal of confusion. And then no policies to define this or back it up. Maybe that's where it all went wrong in the first place. But let's finish up discussing the most major of the issues, the one that clearly was the straw that broke the camel's back and directly prompted the immediate closure of this facility, their sterilization processes. They didn't have the IFU for their sterilizer, so who knows what directions they were following. They found hinged instruments in the closed position, and sadly, there was rust on many of the instruments. The report actually referred to it as a brown-like stain, rust stain, made it sound even worse. They were using pouches, not a problem, but one of them contained 43 instruments. Now, you and I both know there's no way the steam could penetrate all of those instruments. Then let's move on to where they stored these instruments. The integrity of the packages was not maintained. They were laying flat on the shelves. They were overstacked. They were crushed. They were bent. It was a mess. All of the instruments should have been repackaged and re-sterilized, and I, I'm confident that that happened as part of their workout plan. There were several other issues that we're not going to go in through into today. Clearly, the sterilization citations is where the Department of Health had to recommend that they start notifying their patients of possible issues. So what, do we, what we know today is that lawyers for two former patients of the facility had their clients tested positive for hepatitis B. The two patients who tested positive for hepatitis B, they underwent blood tests after surgery center notified them in December. Now there's a third patient who was treated for hepatitis A after a procedure at the, at the center. Also, that patient is seeking to join class action lawsuit against the facility. So the attorneys are looking to broaden their list of diseases, and actually they're also evaluating the time period. So gosh, stay tuned for the ending to this saga. Well, that's a wrap for our third podcast. A few parting thoughts. If you're having difficulty securing training for your infection preventionist specific to an ASC, you might want to consider reserving a seat for them at our one-day ASC-specific live conference that we've got scheduled April the 5th here in St. Louis. We've put together a meaningful day, and I anticipate a great exchange of ideas between speakers and attendees. This is going to be limited seating opportunity, and we encourage all employees to bring their specific issues along with them so that we can offer some problem-solving advice for them to take back to their facility as well as tools to do their job. Well, thanks so much for listening. Please, please go back to your processing room and assess how your facility is doing. Hopefully you'll have time to listen to next week's podcast when we're going to dive into new topics requested by our listeners. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week.
Kathy, that was interesting. Uh, do you have an update on this center as of today? Absolutely. My understanding is that the state has allowed them to reopen and things are, they've made quite a few changes. I've read their plan of correction and I thought it was stellar. I'm hoping that they do well. I, I think we all do. Well, yes, we do. Okay, well, that is a wrap for today's episode. We want to thank our audience and Surgery Center friends for joining us today. We really hope to see you in St. Louis this April at one or hopefully both of our Excellential University conferences so that we can uh, meet you face-to-face and chat with you further. If I can be of any further assistance, please don't hesitate to contact me. You've got my email address, Kathy, at ExcellentiaGroup.com, or you can dial me direct. And until further, I'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.